take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. upstairs. They have no idea what's going on. So many of them, ready to throw their lives away. <laughs> you don't understand. We'll fill these cells yet, sir. Good. I always knew you were a good choice for this job. Now whatever you do, don't slow down. We have many things to feed, many things to appease. Hurry up. Don't slow down. Ever. Okay, sir. Salutations. I shall see you soon. I can see you over there standing in the corner. You always catch me at the most inopportune moments. Slowly you'll figure out what's actually going on. <laughs> well, seeing as you've seen my friend here, just now. Let me share a story about him. Trimming the Devil's Whiskers Written by Mark Rivolo The shop is bright and clean. Just a short walk from Shorncliffe Pier where seabirds wheel and dive, screaming at the sky. Ah, hello. What can I do for you today? The butcher's assistant. A man I've seen, but haven't interacted with. Explain my needs and he sets to it. Angus mentioned that you were a wine merchant before coming to Brisbane. The red-faced young man asks. I was, but I've always appreciated a good cut of meat. That's why as soon as I saw your sign, I knew I must stop in. And your boss certainly loves to talk and exchange tales. <laughs> That he does. The man agrees, chuckling. Good old Angus. But who doesn't? Yes, who doesn't? Every Monday, like clockwork, M. Cullot would visit my tiny shop in the village of Bronan and purchase four bottles of wine. He never desired my best wines, nor my poorest. Blessed is he with a discerning French palate. The canny gentleman always bought squarely in the middle, sniffing out the best vintages at the most sensible price. Back in Burgundy, so I was told, Cullet had been a barber of some repute. What circumstances had prompted him to retire in Yorkshire, he never mentioned, and I never asked. Over time, we became friends of a sort, and upon learning of his bachelorhood, my wife insisted he join us once a month for Sunday roast. With a fair bit of gentle cajoling, he agreed. M. Collot proved a most enjoyable house guest, full of humorous stories and anecdotes. Being the puckish host that I am, I took to plying him with some of my more exotic acquisitions. So much so that he often embarked upon the walk home, precariously teetering on the edge of total drunkenness. On this particular evening, my wife long abed, 
we men were both deep in our cups. My wife's two tabby cats remained with us in the room. The pair curled up asleep near the warmth of the hearth. At some point, the Frenchman put aside his Briere pipe and said, But I've never told you my wildest story, friend. The time I shaved Beezlebub himself. I chuckled, nearly choking on my wine. <laughs> Beelzebub himself, monsieur. I'll admit I've never considered that such a patronage would require outside grooming. It does make sense, though. Please do go on. You jest, but I'm deadly serious. Colotte sniffed. I've never told another living soul this story. The words sobered me, as did the flinty cast of the man's eyes. My apologies, sir. Please, do continue. Seemingly placated, he settled deeper into his chair. I watched as he assessed his half-full glass. Perhaps, perhaps this isn't the right time. The words, just a murmur. I don't wish to... No, I said. I don't mean to offend. I'm all ears, really. He sighed. <sighs> all right, let's put a cap on the evening then. Here is the story. The shop I owned was in Dijon, far to the south of Paris, but ultimately so renowned that politicians and celebrities alike regularly made the trip. My services went beyond mere barbering. I created poultices with the help of a local witch that regrew hair, drew ink from unwanted tattoos, faded them with chilled tubers and a certain type of acidic clay. I offered drafts that made men's willies hard again and creams that made working hands soft. My fame increased and I grew rich and arrogant. I rose and refilled his glass. The fire in the grate gutted, throwing the library into an even deeper shadow. But you cut hair as well? I asked. I've always been amazed by the sense of a good barber. Oh yes. Colot nodded. I started out with good sense. I was an artist. And hair was my preferred medium. I observed facial structures, skull size, and could immediately envision the type of cut that would most complement the client's features. Beards were my specialty. I would spend an hour trimming here and there, shaping them. Just so. Small adjustments. And people loved it. My fame grew large, but my ego as well. I had no idea, I said. Please, go on. Colot swallowed half his glass in one go. He appeared flushed, beads of sweat on his pale forehead. One evening, having just seen off the last appointment of the day, the bell above the shop's door rang. I turned to greet what would have been my very last customer, but saw no one. Aside from myself, the small shop was empty. I shook my head, thinking I must have misheard the bell, and proceeded to lock the door. I kept a bottle of schnapps in the desk the tiny office, and now turned to retrieve it. Maxime, a bit of help over here. A man I did not recognise now occupied my barber chair, where I would have sworn there was no man a moment before. Oh, um, apolog my apologies, monsieur. I, uh, I did not, uh, see you there. He waved a gloved hand. No matter. The customer was of indeterminate age. Long, straight hair fell to his shoulders, glossy and black as tar, but his lined face clearly showed the weight of years. His eyes were lively, mouth quirked, 
insolent almost, and the clothes he wore were positively a rich man's cut. A long grey beard reached almost to his belly, wavy and heavily oiled. I threw a silken cape about his thin shoulders. And what might I do for you this day, kind sir? Just a beard trim, Maxim. How's the wife? This confirmed to me he wasn't a regular. I've never been married, monsieur. Perhaps you have me mistaken for someone else? I didn't catch your name, sorry. Oh no, I know you, Maxim. I ran my fingers through his luxuriant beard, just an inch or so off the bottom, and a general clean-up would suffice. Quick work. My shears clacked. I'm certain you had a wife, Maxime, the gentleman said. Her name was Beatrice, a beautiful girl. Beatrice was my last relationship, a decade gone. Beautiful, indeed. Suffice to say it had ended in heartbreak and misery, and I hadn't courted since. Are you a friend of hers? I asked. B and I haven't spoken in years, I'm sorry to say. He blinked, surprised. Didn't marry her? My apologies. I thought you did. What a shame. Something was wrong with my shears. They weren't cutting properly. I would trim a bit of his beard, and a tuft would fall to the white cape, but the beard seemed just as long as it was before. Though sober, I felt drunk. My eye, which I'd long relied upon, was somehow wrong. I clipped the beard ends, and then clipped again. I could almost feel the press of his dark eyes upon me before he spoke. It must be lonely. Such a successful world you've built, and no one to share it with. Measuring my fingers, and then my hand, I chopped at the ends of the glossy beard, but no matter what I did, it seemed to remain the same length. Was this a madness of perception, or of actuality? How's it going down there? The man asked. I'll be almost finished. Was I drunk? Did I imbibe something I didn't recall? My shears clacked, the hairs fell, yet the beard grew no shorter. I chopped harder, wider, taking off far more than I should, almost hacking away. But still, there was no change to length or width of this damn beard. How was your father, Maxim? The man asked. Last I heard, he was quite ill. Did he recover? My father died of tuberculosis. At this point, he had been in the grave almost five years. I know he passed. It was like an optical illusion. I cut, the hair fell, but the beard was no shorter. Oh, such sadness. To lose a beloved parent must create a great void in your life. Don't know how you continue on. I stepped back from the chair, heart hammering within my chest. The man's hard gaze was upon me. It sent a chill across the back of my neck. Yes, yes, it is painful. I rasped, removing the silken cape. I think we're done here. No charge, monsieur. It was so little work, and I'm at the end of an, admittedly, very long day. Indeed. The man looked to the mirror, ran a gloved hand through his beard, frowned. A mostly adequate job, I suppose. Good day, sir. The shop door closed behind him, 
and it was like all the air had been sucked from the room. I fell to my knees, coughing, (coughs) dizzy. (coughs) I prayed for the first time in decades. Good Lord, save me. Colotte drained his glass, and I leapt to refill it. And what happened then? Did you ever see him again? Yes. He returned every week. I lived each day in dread of his appearance, growing thin and anemic from the stress. He always walked in unannounced. Always at the end of my day, the questions flung at me while I struggled with the demonic beard were the worst part. Things this man couldn't possibly know. Childhood traumas. Small humiliations I'd nearly forgotten. Nagging. Soul-devouring doubts in regards to my talents. Things I thought fully suppressed. I can't even imagine. How abominable for you. I fled to Burgundy the next week. Abandoned my shop. Bought passage on a ship leaving La Havre in the middle of the night. I thought if I could just run far enough away. You're safe in our little village, monsieur. I said. No need to worry. Practically no one comes this way. We have very few visitors when it's warm. And once winter sets in, almost none. Colotte wept openly, (sighs) face suddenly inundated by an unexpected waterfall of tears. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. He said. I've just... Just a... Just about been driven to madness. Over and over, I ask. Why me? And, and I don't know. Thank you for witnessing my tale. It's done. He'll leave me alone for a while now. Leaping from the chair, he gathered up hat, coat, and cane. Could not even look at me. Are you leaving, monsieur? Yes. Yes. I have to go. I'm... I'm far too drunk. Thank you for your hospitality. But I must run. Perplexed, I followed him from the study, through the foyer, and to the front door. Well, thank you for coming. I hope you're not feeling unwell. He looked at me with blary eyes. No, just tired. Good night, sir, and good luck. As he disappeared down the lane, all I could do was shrug. Odd for him to run out so abruptly. Perhaps he was embarrassed at having wept. I returned to the study, freshened my glass of claret, and settled down before the fire with a book. The following Monday came and went with no visit from M. Collot. Odd, but not overly concerning. He was not obliged to shop with me. Another week passed, and again he did not appear. Doubt set in. I began to fear for his well-being and resolved to visit his house to check up on him. Perhaps he was taken ill or I had done something to make him angry with me. A matron with a broom stood in the courtyard of his residence. Hello, is Monsieur Carlot at home? I am a friend of his. The matron ceased her sweeping. Hello, Carlot is gone. Moved out last Sunday. He didn't mention where he was headed next. I was confused. On a trip? Or moved out permanently? Why would he suddenly move away? Moved out. Gone. The matron replied. He paid off the last of his lease. 
so I don't think he intends to return. You're that wine seller. If you might spread the word that my rental is now available, I would appreciate it. Uh, I will indeed. Thank you. I won't lie. I enjoyed Maxime's company, so his abrupt departure pushed me into a bout of soft depression. Being older, I don't have many good friends left, and making new ones seems, at best, difficult. I also could not shake the feeling that I had done something to offend him, to drive him away. After a fairly desolate weekend, I returned to work on Monday. The day was quiet, but just prior to close, a voice startled me. You are open, correct? A woman stood before my counter, yet I had not heard the tinkle of the bell above the door. Her coat, gown, and hat were sumptuous, expensive, and long. Jet black hair fell to below her shoulders. A piercing gaze indicated to me a customer who was used to getting what she wanted. Oh, my apologies, madame. I was lost in my thoughts. What can I do for you? I'm looking for a spicy dry red. Do you have something you would recommend? Why yes, I have just the thing, I replied, and pulled a bottle from the cabinet behind me. The Chateau Ponte Carnet, red. I'm sure you'll love it. May I taste it? She asked. I, of course, intend to buy, but a preview in light of future purchases would be wonderful. It was one of my more expensive bottles, but I'd dealt with customers like her before. A simple indulgence today might lead to substantial business tomorrow. I located a glass and wiped it out, uncorked the bottle, made a show of sniffing and pouring. She took the glass and sipped, made a sour face. It's spoiled, is it not? I took the glass from her hand and drank. The strong odour, the vinegar stench, the bottle was ruined. How it came to be so, I had no idea. It is. My apologies. Allow me to uncork another. Yes, such a shame, she said, shaking her head. And a shame about your wife too. All of those miscarriages. With her, you'll never be a father. I simply don't know how you managed to endure it. Second bottle in hand, I could almost feel the press of the woman's dark eyes upon me. The same vinegar stench arose as I uncorked it, and along with it, a rushing chill of understanding that swept across my shoulders and neck. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Trimming the Devil's Whiskers was written by Mark Rivolo. To find out more about Mark, you can catch him on Twitter at Mark Rivolo. M-A-R-C-R-U-V-O-L-O. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating and a review as it helps us reach more people. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>